and welcome to Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob. And today, today we have a show that's so good. It's so packed with adventure and excitement and tears and heartbreak that we have already registered the show for the National Archives. Yes. Registered on the Richter scale. And we haven't even done the show. <laughs> <laughs> that's how confident I am that this is going to be a brilliant show. But I mean, it's... The, the archives I'm thinking of will get in. Yeah, they, uh, they're not fussing. The porn archives. <laughs> I think the only archives you know are the porn archives. They really do. <laughs> they'll have to work a bit harder getting in. Uh, today we are looking at the 1975 album by Steve Arley and Cockney Rebel called The Best Years of Our Lives. Isn't that right, Rob? Yeah, I wasn't sure about that. I would mix it up. I was calling it uh, Steve Cockney and Harley Rebel. But then I uh, switched that back, and then now people... Rebel Harley. Rebel <laughs> Harley. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they I wouldn't mind being called Cockney Steve. Cockney That's a Steve. great name. Hey, Cockney Steve. <laughs> <laughs> you got the, those guns you said you were going to get us? <laughs> um, but first, first, Rob, we have a little cleanup work to do this week. And by that, I mean we have a little something we call corrections, forgetfulness, and what did he say? (laughs) Oh, this is because of Winchester. (laughs) This this is where, as the title states very clearly, we try to correct or apologize for any mistakes that we made on previous shows, which I don't think applies today because we haven't made any mistakes uh, in the last couple of shows, from what I understand. No, usually, usually we, we correct other people. Yeah, we, but we sometimes are correcting is wrong, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, At least we're trying. We, we try to remember things we did on past shows and apologize for that. And we do a lot of apologizing on this show. <laughs> and, we, uh, and the last part is, uh, of course, and we apologize for things we said that made people go, what did he say? Uh, which, by the way, I don't... Uh, this feels unnatural. We don't actually have any this week. Where we made any, oh, okay. Except except Rob's comment uh, a couple of shows ago where he said that uh, Hitler was probably a, a good guy to have a beer or two right. with after yeah. a long day of world domination and madness. Remember when you said that? I didn't say I'm sure he had his good side, and then we could probably grow to be good friends if, if we ever got the opportunity. I don't know. You see, if you sit around with Hitler after a long day of work, and you didn't, like, pay the bill or something, he'd be like, what? What? <laughs> what? You will be shot. I mean, you're always on it. It's like being in the mafia. I mean, you do one wrong thing, and you're sleeping with the fishes, except back then you'd be... I don't know, sleeping with a tank. Yeah, but I'm a pretty affable person. I don't know. There were a lot of affable people in Germany that died quite unfairly. In fact, I think the affable people were the ones he wanted to get rid of the most. He was looking for hardened madmen and uh, to have an affable, like, yeah, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Shoot him! <laughs> <laughs> I guess they didn't last. I, I guess I was way above. <laughs> Weeding them out. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Now, uh, since we started this show, I have said 
that uh, some things will be talked about or done on later episodes. You know how I always yeah, call that, Rob? Threaten that a bit. Which, now, I don't threaten it. It's absolutely true. I When I say that we're going to do something on a show in the future, I mean it. But a lot of times I forget. Yeah. <laughs> I promise to I was do. Ask, do I have to remember? Apparently <laughs> <laughs> not. So... Uh, an example is actually last week. Remember you and I, Rob, were talking about something and I said we shouldn't talk about that because it hasn't happened yet. Because I'm going to be devoting a whole oh, yeah, segment yeah, yeah, yeah. to it yeah. on a future episode. That's right, we got into it and then we had And yet uh, I do not know what we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and that was only last week. And, uh, you know, if I can't remember one week later what topic was so important. Uh, how can we remember what to apologize How can for? we remember three years? Yeah, how can we? We can't apologize. We're not apologizing for this. No, we're asking we're for people's help. And this is this is what we're doing. Because uh, one thing I do not want to do, or Rob, is we don't want to listen to all of the past shows uh, you know, we, just to keep our our word about to our loyal and sympathetic and beautiful audience. As far as I'm concerned, we don't have to because we've lived them. We live the shows. We live the show 24 hours a day. Yeah. So it's hard to listen to something when you put so much into it. <laughs> That's a good excuse. I like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot out of it. Uh, so because we're too lazy, I mean, because we put so much into the show and we don't want to listen to all the past episodes to remember all the times I said, this is coming up in a future episode. We would like you, our great audience to email us and let us know if you're making notes or if you listen to the show. some of you, I think listen to the show like three or four times a day and that's really obsessive and scares us, but we also, it's good for right now because <laughs> we need you it's the second best we could come up with. The first one was to get a whiteboard, but Winchester wouldn't pay for it. No, no. Well, why would Mr. Winchester pay for anything? Well, it's a so show I'm, going on in his building, and uh, if it prospers, uh, he does well. He does. He he think he watches. He listens to a different. He listens to a different show, and then says, "Why did you do that on your show?" And I say, mm. "Why you weren't listening to our show? Why you, like you'll go to us and say, why did you do that thing with the cat?'" And I said, "You know what? We've never talked about cats on our show ever." So he doesn't. Mm. He doesn't know what's going on. I just tell him because I hate cats. <laughs> Mislead him. So, so what we promised to, to to do on future shows, we would we would be very happy and grateful. That uh, maybe even give you a hug. I mean, we won't, but we would give you a hug. We would feel like giving you a hug. We'd feel like it, yeah. yeah you know, and we're going to give you the email address. <laughs> yes, we, we have an email address. We feel like giving you a hug, but instead we're going to give you some rice cakes. Uh, the email <laughs> address is very simple. Sounds from the 70s. I think it's Sounds from the 70s. I should have wrote it down. I, mean, I don't pay attention to this stuff. Our producer, uh, Uptown Mike, is supposed to pay attention to this stuff. Yeah, he was supposed and, to leave a piece of paper with all this information on. And he, he just sleeps in, the, in, the, in another room while the show's going on. But it sounds from the 70s at gmail.com. Please email us. Of course, you can always send your emails of love, devotion, and nude pictures. Don't send nude pictures. No, not nude pictures. That shouldn't have been on the piece of paper. 
I should have had that in the script. That was wrong. We do not want nude pictures, but if you do send them, what can we do? I know you're making the script and you were thinking there was something I was supposed to take out this week. I can't remember what it was. Now you know. You you read me like a book, my friend. Oh, and by the way, and don't try and fool us and saying like, uh, oh, remember that time you guys said that you were going to have uh, talk a whole segment about lesbian porn movies in the 1970s? Now, because we actually didn't watch lesbian porn movies until the 80s, you're not going to fool us on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Trust us, we're, we're, we're a little bit daft, but we're not that daft. There okay. were no lesbian porn movies in the 70s. <laughs> Those were the ones. And I challenge any of you to produce one. But it was all on uh, on on those those rolls of the schools of, of film um, yeah, that yeah, you only get to see at stag parties. Yeah, yeah, those things were so flammable. Actually, that your brothers would see at stag parties <laughs> and tell you about. And tell you about. And you just say, yeah, <laughs> you're making this up. And uh, by the way, we won't. Oh yeah, sorry. I was uh, looking at uh, why. Uh, Uptown Mike is still sleeping in the other room when he should be here. By the way, we won't uh, we won't uh, talk about. We're trying. We're not gonna. We're threatening about talking about this being important, but we're not. It's a family show. I've always wanted this to be not too much swearing, so that well, so my nieces and nephews can actually listen to the show, and my mom. So. But it would be an interesting topic, though. Lesbian porn in the 80s. Lesbian porn in the 80s. You know. The hair. I remember the hair. You know what different. we should do? Is we should save the lesbian porn topic for when the hens are on the show. Oh, I think that's something they'd have an opinion on. Because your sisters would definitely have an opinion on it. And, of course, we would take the, the alternative uh, side because that's what we do. I just ask him, what do you think about uh, women uh, kissing other women? On camera. <laughs> <laughs> on camera. Uh, yeah, yeah, they would love to talk I about it. I don't see a problem with it. Now that they know, they listen. To, I don't think they listen to the show. But yeah. hopefully they're not. They're going to get sabotaged. Not in a bad way. In a, in a, in, yeah, I guess it is a bad way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to make them uh, think that we're not going to do anything oh. bad, and we um, <laughs> Well, they set themselves up for it. But you know them. Rob's sisters are not going to listen to the show, so expect in the future, very soon, uh, the hens will be guests on our show. Yeah, they don't have to listen to be on the show. We're on the show. We don't listen. No, we'll just tell them, you know what, it's so popular, and all the feminists love it. And uh, so most of our audience uh, are ladies. In, That's what I'll tell them. In jail. Uh, <laughs> so, so remember to email us and help us out so we can we can be better people and save lives and and maybe your own child's life with this information. I'd like to do something heroic. Yeah, we can do we can do something heroic with this information. And uh, plus, I don't want to lose all these ideas. <laughs> That's even more important. <laughs> and keep a list. Yeah, no, 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 I know there's some geeky uh, guy. That's the way I'm chronicling <laughs> what we go through. There's some geeky guy out there that's that's chronicling every show. If that geeky guy, and I don't mean that in a bad way, I mean that in all the respectful nerd way that I can put it. Yeah. He's chronicling every do everything we do on the show. Just email us, 
tell us what we did on the last episode, because I swear to God, we don't remember crap around here. Okay. And remember Doctor Who. I, I didn't get that. Well, the early Doctor Who shows, they were uh, filmed, but uh, nobody kept the recording. No, so they, they, they did that at the BBC all the time. Because so if anybody complains, uh, listen, people, if anybody complains, we should be complaining that hey, this show or 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 just Doctor Who, if they complain that just Doctor Who, like all the episodes except for like two, were erased in the sixties. You know what? Almost all of them were. I got a great story. I know I'm going off topic, and we got a jam-packed show. But I think this is a. I think this is not a funny story. It's but story. since you brought it up about the BBC and Doctor Who being erased, yeah, and I don't want us getting our early shows all gone. Dudley Cook and uh, Dudley Cook, Dudley Moore and Peter Cook had their show Beyond the French, right? In yeah. the 60s, and it was hugely popular in Britain on the BBC, and they knew that the practice to do, I can't remember which one, whether it was in Peter Cook or Dudley Moore or which one of them, but they knew that BBC's practice was to erase, erase the, the tapes and use them over again. So they, they actually offered to buy all the tapes, which were very, very expensive at that time, and I think even double it, like even like just the cost of a blank videotape. Because that's all really that the BBC cared about, or else they wouldn't erase them in the first place. Yeah. Like, oh, it costs so it's much a budget for a videotape, and it costs like three hundred dollars at that point, or maybe it was three hundred pounds. <laughs> but it was expensive, so they offered to uh, buy any amount of blank VHS tapes or whatever uh, tapes that they used. To, to tape them, and they actually refused. The BBC said, no, we're going to erase them anyways. Can you believe that? That they actually said no when they offered to actually just pay for all the expenses. And now there's only like three or four Beyond the Fringe shows around because of that. Wow. Your work is our property, and we've decided it's not worth keeping. That's exactly their point. The people who run the BBC are just a bunch of, they're bags of human form. Unless, of course, they want to hire us. Then you know what? I love you, BBC. I want to have your baby. Wow. <laughs> I hope they remember what I said. <laughs> I like that one guy, but that other guy. Uh, oh, we should, we should state, we legally have to state that we are broadcasting from the somewhat dilapidated Winchester building in the downtown metropolis area. I think it's beautiful, but I love old buildings that don't hold heat. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just say he turns off. Um, this, oh, yeah, yeah, we did, yeah, what we said about uh, the thing, the uh, heat, female, the old heat, the lighting, of course, the lighting. So, anyways. <laughs> You thought that I was stumbling, but no, it was on, I was doing that on purpose. <laughs> so anyways, I'm just going to have a little drink of my water here. Mr. Winchester's quick. Yeah. I got Winchester's a swell guy. Uh, I'm going to go golf with him sometime. Well, he won't want to golf with you because you don't know what he says about you, and I do. <laughs> <laughs> and let's just say he thinks that you take those golf balls and put them in a place that you enjoy them in your body. <laughs> um, I think he places a little more value on having me as a renter than, uh, than what you think. So what do we? Uh, oh, we got a real interesting segment coming up here, Rob. 
I don't recall ever actually hearing the uh, email address. The email address. Thank you very much. <laughs> I did see the email address a couple of times. Rob doesn't pay attention. No, you went on halfway. But saying then, yeah, when it came to the dot, whatever, you, you missed that. I did. Did I say dot? If I miss the dot, yeah. then screw you, people. Forget the whole thing. Because if you're if you don't know that there's a dot in an email address, then I don't know. I shouldn't. <laughs> I shouldn't antagonize them. I'm just joking. Uh, the email address sounds sounds from the 70s. Good. All one word in case. No, I was going to say it again. I was going to antagonize the audience again. Sounds from the 70s. All one word at gmail.com. Okay. And of course, you can send also your questions and uh, ask about why Mike does diddly squat around here. Anyways, speaking of Uptown Mike. Our general, good guy, good guy, our producer and general ne'er do well. I wouldn't hear a word against him. <laughs> That's pretty good. Our producer and general ne'er do well. Uh, I thought I was a ne'er do well. Oh, <laughs> uh, here I am doing well. Yeah, um, but I'm telling Mike, is it or not for long? He he received an interesting email from a listener this week. In that the he would like us to answer. Now it's not a regular email. Is that because? And it's we're not do this is not part of our email segment where we sing the email song and do an email and give him a prize because uh, one of the things is that it requires a very long answer and if you ask a question that requires us to give a long answer you are immediately disqualified from any gifts or gratuities that we were going to give you. Rice cakes have an expiry date. That's right. That's right. And so does our patients. Actually, so that's why we don't like long I'm, answers. I'm not sure if they do. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, I try to find out the least I can about rice cakes uh, because probably the more I find out, even the more disgusted I would be than I already am. I think if we had a nuclear war, even the radiation would have nothing to do with rice cakes. Oh, yeah. And we're also uh, taking it away from our regular email segment. I didn't hear what you said. Sorry, he's laughing. I forgot. I wasn't listening. They were taking. Stop laughing. Okay, whatever. I whatever because we're taking it away from regular email segment. Also, because Uptown Mike forgot his name. <laughs> <laughs> so to give a prize to somebody whose name we have misplaced would be foolish. Classic Uptown. But you know what, <laughs> sir? We know it is a man. That's what we do know. Okay. Sir, it isn't important about the accolades in life. What is important is that you wrote this question in, and it's a good question, and you and God know about it. And that's how we know that you're a fella, because it's an intelligent question. And God knows about it. And God knows about it. And isn't that the most important thing, says our lawyers. So anyways, <laughs> so uh, inquiring minds want to know... <laughs> I always bring our lawyers into it because it seems we have to. Uh, <laughs> inquiring minds want to know what we do in the week leading up to this. is a good question. What do we do in the week leading up to the show? Oh. Each of us, two of us. Now, I can answer for Rob really quick, and that is dick all. <laughs> as far as the show is concerned, I'm not talking about what you do like when you have your male guests over on Saturday night. I'm talking about your say preparation when, from when you say from when we end this show today until next Wednesday when we start it. When you say dick all, that could have many meanings. <laughs> oh yeah, actually, 
Yeah. Big old thousand wax. I, sometimes you say things I have no idea what you're talking about. Anyways. Oh, I was going to, oh, I was going to use my damn, I was going to use the joke I was going to say at the beginning, and I forgot because I didn't write it down. Stop coughing, because I'm not editing that out. The water went down the wrong pipe. Okay, leave the room. You're embarrassing me. You're embarrassing me in front of all our listeners. Listen, now there's dead air. Because <laughs> I'm waiting for you, because I'm waiting for you to not cough. And I know I should be worried, but I'm not. This will come out of my page, so the question to you first is yes, and make this quick because it has to be quick. Is what do you do between during the week to get ready for the show? Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Rob's a good guy. What do you do, Rob? I practice bullfighting. I'm a big red cape out there. I just. Uh, Kind of wave it and shake it and pretend to be in charge. Anyways, and I make some quick cat dive movements to save my life. Rob says. <laughs> Rob says. I write about the only okay. thing that Rob does. Okay, first of all, he says he's going to show up to rehearsal and he doesn't. Yeah. So he doesn't even show up to rehearsal. He doesn't write anything. Okay. The only thing. The only thing he does is when I ask him, "Did you listen to the record this week?" and then he says. I listened to a couple songs. Isn't that enough? I got the gist of it. <laughs> so that's that in a nutshell is pretty much. And he sets up the the computers and stuff oh, to get ready. Shucks, I've heard another album that these guys have done. Isn't that close enough? <laughs> that's, that's what I have to deal with. Seriously, every week. Now m- myself, moi, on the other hand, he spends a week poking and prodding me. Hey man, maybe you ought to do something. To hey show Mike, me can you put on the mute <laughs> microphone for a couple of minutes? <laughs> we have a we have a microphone that works, and sometimes in front of Rob we give him the mute microphone because yeah. he talks way too much. All bands have that problem. Okay, so I will tell you that we tape on Wednesday night, right? We tape on Wednesday night. Feels like a Wednesday. It is, just like tonight. It's strange because tonight's a Wednesday night. Feels like a Wednesday, yeah. And the thing, the, the thing I do, <laughs> I was just about to hit him. You know what? I'm glad this is not on YouTube because I everybody would have seen it. It would have been, it would have been like on all your news shows the next day. Man hits his podcast partner with a stiff punch. Nose explodes <laughs> and splash of blood. Okay. <laughs> so as we put the as Mike gets the mute mic ready, uh, I will tell you that at, we tape on Wednesday night, and the thing I do first after getting home is I put on my favorite Sergio Mendes in Brazil '66 album. I love that. Oh yeah. And I relax. And then I wonder, what the hell am I doing with my life? Then I go to sleep. See, that's my morning. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Thursday, uh, well, I need to not think about the show at all because... Yeah, that's a vacation. Yeah, I am so stressed about getting everything done from the previous week's show that I just just have to unwind. Do you um, uh, go in that... No, you don't have to worry about that. With all the goldfish? On Friday, mute, Mike. Mike, I said mute. On Friday, 
I need to not think about the show at all. <laughs> Because I'm so stressed about getting everything done for the previous week's show. I know it sounds a lot like Thursday because it is, but it takes me two whole days just to get that show out of my system because I care too much. I care too much. Yeah. Rob cares very little, and yet it's yeah. still hard for him to get the show out of the The first day, you begin to forget. By the second day, you fully forget. <laughs> By the third day, you forget that you forgot. And that's when you know you're ready to start <laughs> getting <laughs> ready for the next you week's show. That you have to forget. And uh, so on Saturday, that's when I listen to the record we are reviewing on the upcoming show. Sunday morning for me. And would you shut the fuck up? <laughs> I'm sorry to swear because I hate to swear on this show, but really. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to edit that out either because we don't edit but I'm not editing that so people know what an asshole you can be sometimes <laughs> you big hog hey look at the what, what's, what's Rob's uh, name on the show oh hog so, how about that thing <laughs> how about that thing so, so uh, on Saturday I listened to the record my bit is just blown uh, I listen to the record. We are reviewing on the upcoming show, and then uh, I make notes, not about the record, <laughs> about the what's the best way to get rid of Uptown Mike and get a new producer. And every week I write that shit down, and I never get rid of them. Soon. Oh, you need to um, um oh that whiteboard I mentioned. Maybe Winchester can get us one. You start to uh, plan something. Winchester's a brick. I don't like to swear, you see? This is supposed to be a non-swearing show, and I got my nieces and nephews listening, and uh, they don't want to hear their Uncle Gary swearing on a... Uh, behave. It's my bet. Holy smokes. When you write something and do it on the show, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to interrupt all the time. Oh, yeah, that's right. You haven't written it dick. Can, it can't hurt. <laughs> and then on Sunday, I know nobody gives a shit anymore because it's all it's all disjointed. But on Sunday, I listen to the record again because I want to absorb it. But this time, I have it way in the background <laughs> while I'm doing work around the house. It's almost you know it's almost like it's not there. And uh, that way, when people say, have you listened? How many times did you listen to the record? I say, I put it on a couple times this week. And yet, really, I only listened to it like, yeah, once. So Sunday night, I also write the first draft of the script for Wednesday's show. And without looking at it, I quickly throw it out. Not even, not even, not even, not even glancing at it and go to sleep. Now, don't be a prick. <laughs> I just don't mean interrupt me in the middle of a sentence. You can say something. Your job is, is really just oh, to go, yes, that's correct, yeah. sir. <laughs> Check the script and see where the middle is. Oh, wait a oh, second. <laughs> I worked really hard on this bit. I really did. On Monday... <laughs> I know, it's like the 12 days of Christmas. But I knew that would be pushing it too far. It is like the 12 <laughs> days of Christmas, isn't it? And a partridge and a pear tree. And then on Monday, I write the second draft of the script, read the first paragraph, and throw it out. Because 
I'm not ready yet. And even though it might be great, I have to throw it up. Oh, and I leave an obscene message on uh, on my email account. I do that every Monday. It's better than what you used to do. <laughs> Little presents I used to send in the, the mail. Or yeah. in the front lawn. Uh, on Tuesday, God, this is this is not as if this wasn't as long when I was writing this out. On yeah, Tuesday, you were alone. I know I didn't have distractions. <laughs> on Tuesday, the day before the show, I write the final draft of the script, and then I tell everybody I will be at rehearsal that night, and then I don't show up as usual, <laughs> and I drink myself to sleep. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I don't even know who shows up at rehearsal because you skip it, I skip it, and uh, sure as hell know that Uptown Mike doesn't show up. I he just uses an excuse to like uh, bring girls to the uh, the place where we record. I didn't even know he liked girls, so mm. not well, anything wrong with that. But I did not know. I I don't didn't say why he's bringing. His that. haircut screams I don't like girls. But anyways, I don't want to get in trouble with comments like that. But really, it does. Uh, on Wednesday, <laughs> God, this bit was so much funnier when I was writing. <laughs> on Wednesday, the day of taping, I make continuous excuses to myself to not show up because, you know, I would rather stay home and watch my beloved Magnum P.I. reruns. As Rob knows how much I love Magnum P.I. I never know how it's going to turn out. <laughs> Zeus, Apollo, come here. <laughs> Never know how it's going to turn out. And then I eventually get in my car and drive to the Winchester building and do the show as painlessly as I can. As painlessly. How's that been going? And no, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it hasn't been working out as great as, uh, as I thought it would. No. But still, the accomplishment of doing the show is okay. Uh, <laughs> and that is how every week of my life works out and probably will for a long, long time. Oh, that's, sad. that's a sad ending. That's a sad moral to the story. It's also why it takes one week to do a show. We can't do two shows in a week. We can't do three. We can't do one and a half. <laughs> how the hell do you do one and a half shows? Let's, think, let's stop this right now because I'm not in the mood. 20 minutes one night and 20 minutes the following week. Why do you uh, why do you feel you have to ruin my bits all the time? Like I wouldn't yeah. mind it if it was like it was like oh he's like Rob's yeah. got a bit that's fine that's cool but no uh, he's just here he just shows up to ruin my bits like write something and then I'll let you say it and then it'll be really cool. Well, but you're not here to be a joke. Well, I guess you're here. I want that to is be a kind joke. of why. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. I apologize. Sir. And I um um uh, take flack for putting it in the wrong places. Take no praise for putting it in the right places. And you can't. That, that one girlfriend you had really got mad when you put it in the wrong place. Didn't she? Oh, she uh the, the only uh scrambled eggs. She gave me scrambled eggs. God. Okay, when I'm looking for a new producer, <laughs> I will also be taking submissions for a new sidekick. You find someone who does what I do cheaper than me, you got him. Who says it's a him? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't funny. it be more beneficial to me to find a woman? I like that. And a woman producer? Yeah. <laughs> 
Now you're not so smart, eh, smart guy? Okay, so that brings us to the album this week, uh, which is Steve Harvey and Copy of Rebel. Sorry, Steve Harvey. Because I know not a lot of people know about Steve I was listening to, and it sounded like Steve Harvey. Yeah, not, uh, I don't want to mislead people. Don't be looking that up on the internet. Steve You'll Harley something different. and Cockney Rebel. Now, this is actually really interesting. Not the album. <laughs> Trust me, not the album. But the story that we have to tell, or I have to tell anyways, has to do a lot with me. has to do about the show, actually. Yeah. Um... But we'll give you some background information. Yeah. Cockney Rebel started in uh, in England in 1973, just as Cockney Rebel. But Steve Harley, he wrote all the songs and he uh, he sang, he sings all the songs in the, in the band. And their first two albums got amazing critical success in England, no place else. And <laughs> sorry, uh, just the way I said it, it made me laugh. You're wondering why I said, sorry, I'm going to say, no, please, uh, And uh, then in, in 1975, kind of the rest of the band quit or went on their ways, and there was just Steve Harley. And so the record company says, well, get another band together. And since you do everything anyways, basically, uh, call it Steve Harley and Cockney Rebel. So he did. And uh, this is the first album that they made as Steve Harley and Cockney Rebel. They ended up making a couple more records and then broke up in 19, after their tour of 1977, they broke up. So they, they did have quite a lasting effect in England. They didn't do diddly squat in North America. And I can attest to that because as everybody knows, I listened to everything from the 70s, and up until a year ago, I had never heard any music by Cockney Rebel at all. And yet, I, I did, I have to admit, though, I did see articles in the magazines, the English magazines that my brother used to buy in the mid-70s. And I used to say, oh, this looks like an instrument. And they were a, a glitter glitter band with glam rock. Glam rock. Sorry, that's a better. That is not a better term. Glam rock with. Uh, that was the genre at the time. Yeah. Very much rock and roll. Style of music. It was, and they dressed that way, and they they looked, you know, they had the style and everything, and the uh, the music is very much David Bowie-ish. Um, with a little bit of Dylan in it, and uh, yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking if you um, um, put David Bowie and uh, Dylan into the, the, the teleporter together and mash them together, you get Steve Harley. Yeah, it is kind of like rock and folk, <clears throat> and uh, and a little bit of futuristic uh, stuff. <clears throat> and uh, so, but I, I I had heard of them. Obviously, I had heard of them. They were quite they were quite a big band in the mid seventies, enough that. They were covered by the North American press, but nobody, nobody really listened to them over here. Like I don't uh, think they really. They never them. got on the radio or not. never played them too much over here. No, they they for some reason, and they are very English. Uh, I got my theory on that, and I'll get back. Okay. Not on why they're English, why they weren't played. Oh, why? Not why they're <laughs> English, because they were born in England. Case closed. Um, so that's why. They kind of got the promotion behind them, and that's why I knew about them. You know, they, they got the push 
but the music didn't translate to North America. And it translated very well in the UK. And I don't know how much of Europe, but it was, uh, they were a pretty, they were a pretty big band at that time. And it's hard in the seventies to be a big band because there's so much good music coming out that I have to give them that much credit. <laughs> I have to give them that, you know where this is going in, in, in a couple of minutes. But anyways, what my story is, is the reason that this show exists in the first place is actually because of Steve Harlan. Really? Even before mm -hmm. I had heard any of his music, even I had known Steve Harley, not as a person. He wasn't my buddy. We didn't hang out and have beers. But, of course, I knew who Steve Harley was as a musician. Now, around 2009, 2010, I started listening a lot to BBC radio because there's absolutely nothing on any other radio that was interesting. And they had this show that was on that I'll just say sounded very similar in name to our show. That's why I had to change a word or two. <laughs> um, and it was hosted by Steve Harley. And actually the show has been on BBC with various hosts since I think the uh, mid seventies or whatever. And I just loved it. It was an amazing show. And it was, BBC has three and four hour shows with these dingbat idiots. And they only gave Steve Harley a half an hour, <laughs> which I thought was outrageous. One a half hour every week. And some people got like three or four hours a day. I just couldn't understand it because this was like no other show I heard. And what Steve Harley would do was he was a very opinionated person, not in a belligerent way, but in a just telling it like it is way. And plus he had stories. He had stories about, oh, I, how I met this guy and back in the 70s. And, oh, I got a story about this. <laughs> and it was fascinating. And he refused to play music he didn't like. He refused to play music that was hit singles he liked to play album tracks yeah, right on and i thought that this is something that me and rob have talked about like why why aren't there stations that just play songs on records that nobody hears great songs on records that nobody yeah. hears. not bad songs you don't mean like play like i mean there must be know. other bored listeners out there yeah. the same songs every few like you know bands that do so many good songs you get to hear two of them Oh, exactly. Over and over again. And even a band like ACDC, which is uh, a fantastic band, and they do uh, quite a number of their songs. There's still other songs that they could do other than You Shook Me All Night Long. Or Highway and, to Hell, yeah. Or Highway to Hell. Mm -hmm. And Great songs, but they, over and over again, come on. So Steve much. Harley says, I refuse to, replay, to play on my show that I only have a half an hour with mm -hmm. a week to play songs that people already know. So he would play the most interesting music, not far out music, just album tracks by well-known artists and sometimes not well-known artists. And I loved almost everything he played because it was our type of music. It was, it spoke to us, Rob, you know, it spoke to us. So I said, I did, I said to myself, that's what I want. I would like to have a show like that. If I want someday to have a show just, not just like that, but a show that uh, gives talks about the 70s, not about the things that everybody knows about, but a lot of things that people don't know about don't the know music. About. 
And we haven't really delved into that too much yet. We will in the future. We're going to be playing a lot more music that people have not heard of the artists or the albums because we either want to warn you about these records or we want to tell you to go and listen to these records as soon as possible because just because they're unknown doesn't mean that they shouldn't be listened to. So I was, Steve Harley was like my hero, but not for the, any of his music because I had never heard his music and he didn't, he refused to play any of his music on the, on the show, which I thought was really cool too. Um, so that kind of brings me kind of why I picked this album because I saw, you know, I wanted to tell that story. I wanted to say that this is actually, if anybody wonders why we're doing this show, it was, there's always something that makes you want to do this show. And this was, yeah, the, this was the spark that made me want to say, and I wanted Rob to always be part of it. I had and no we idea. You can't hear this. I said, I said to myself, that's a crazy idea. He's nuts. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and I always wanted Rob to do the show. And I always imagined it like this where we would talk about albums on length, like about a half an hour every show, which would be about an hour long, and we would talk about it for about a half an hour and let people know, hey, you should really listen to this band or and this album, or you shouldn't, just give it our opinion. And thank God it came true. Thank God <laughs> with, the, with podcasting, we can actually do this. Yeah. And uh, so I felt I owed Steve Harley a little bit of a, payback. Unfortunately, my payback is not 100% great <laughs> because I'm not a huge fan of uh, this music. Uh, there is, there, I, I've listened to this album a couple times and uh, there's some interesting stuff on here, but you know what? It just, it's very British and sometimes something very British like the Kinks really grabs me and sometimes something very British doesn't. It's just, you don't, I can't explain why. It's just like with any music that you think you're going to like because it's like a, an artist that you like, and yet you don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like somebody goes up to you and says, this is just like Tom Petty. And then you listen to it and says, it is like Tom Petty, but it's I don't like good. it. <laughs> it's not what I like. <laughs> and this is exactly the point. And it's what you said, uh, and I got that listening to it. It was a lot like Dylan, and it's a lot like David Boy mixed yeah. in, which is you can't get a greater combination of that in the mid-70s. No, and he does it well, too. Man. And he does it, I admit, he does it well. But for some reason, it just doesn't connect with me. And I have tried. And I actually mm -hmm. believed, I, I do believe that if I did listen to this album a lot, I mean a lot, mm -hmm. I would probably like it a little bit more than I do. I do because I really think that this album takes some listening to. Um, but I did give it quite a few listens over the past six months, enough that I could make an opinion. Because at first, when we talked about this album, uh, just me and Rob, months and months and months ago, six months ago or so, I really did like the album. I, I like it a little bit more than I did when we when we had a conversation with you about this album. You like the album, I know, from our first conversation about it. Uh, I'll let you talk in a minute about how you felt about it. But I also wanted to talk, because there's some good ideas here. There's some really, like Rob, writing-wise, there's some really good ideas on Yeah, this it's like, it's like uh, from my listening point of view, it's an almost-there album. 
I got that, but I almost yeah. felt that almost every song failed in that regard. You know, like almost every song was almost there. Almost there, yeah. There was nothing that stood out and said, by God. I know they had a number one single in the, in the UK there. Oh, I wanted to talk about that. Okay, more bashing. <laughs> <laughs> now, I had never, this is this is blows my mind, because I know every hit song from the 70s, and yet the song Make Me Smile, Come Up and See Me, was not only a number one song in the UK, yeah. which is just as difficult as getting a number one song in, in Canada or the United States and North America. It's very difficult. So this song has to be really popular, right? Mm -hmm. And I was amazed to read that this song, Make Me Smile, has been covered 1,200 freaking times. <laughs> okay? Now, I have listened to this song. I listened to this song the first time about eight months ago, That's right? a lot of royalties. And I listened to it a couple times this week again after first listening to this album. And I don't get it. <laughs> I don't no. get it. This is such an ordinary, lucky to be on the album song, and yet it's their most famous That's song. A, and that uh -huh. kind of uh, caught me off guard as I was listening. Okay, this was their, their number one hit because I got a few others on the album. I kind of listened to it. Okay, this is the one they probably played. I agree with you. I even <laughs> think it sounds like a demo. It's so, to me, it's so underproduced. And it's it's there's so much stuff in 1975, which is let alone on this album, that's so much better and worthy of number one. This album shouldn't even make it in the top, not the album, sorry, but the single shouldn't even make it in the top 200. And I'm not saying it's a bad song. It's not bad, but it is a, it's, it's a good album cut at best. I'm surprised. Yeah, yeah. I don't get I dare, shocked I too often, but this, but the mediocrity of this song and the popularity of it didn't mesh with me at all. No, this almost harkened back to like a, a weird uh, Bob Dylan meets doo-wop with the, with the backing vocals in it. Can I say something? I just want to say something and leave it with you because this was very important for me to say. There was one song on here, and it's a title track, yeah. The Best Years of Our Lives, which... For some reason, when I first heard it six or eight months ago, I didn't like anything from the album much. You know, it was all pretty mediocre to me. When I listened to it this last week again a couple of times, this song, The Best Years of Our Lives, is does hit the mark five out of five. This song, when I listened to the lyrics and then I kind of looked it up, was is amazing lyrically. It's, it's, it's a song about the, the, the disintegration of a couple's relationship. And I find that the music and the words, it, it's an extremely powerful song. And it hit me, every time I listen to it, it hits me even more. And there's a little thing he does, and I find that's why I kind of want to say this, because if I forget it, and I let you say your piece, and then I don't it. won't come it, back to it. Yeah, I, will, I will kill myself <laughs> not knowing that I heard it. There's a little thing he does, because there's a demo version of this song on just his guitar, that we're not supposed to listen to because we're only supposed to listen to the album. the album. I love the song so much. I wanted to hear the demo version that was a bonus track on the CD. So I listened to it, and he there's a beautiful chorus to the song where he says, and it's a guy and a girl talking to each other about their relationship. And he says, it was magic. And her reply is, it was, it was tragic. tragic. And then he reverses that on the actual album, 
where the guy says it's tragic. No, the guy says it's magic, and the woman says it's tragic. And then the guy says, and it was the best years of our life, or something like that. I'm sorry if I get it mixed up. But the point is, is it totally changes the uh, the feeling of the song. Because if you're looking at the end, and we, nobody knows, really know what he's talking about when he says it. It's not made yeah. clear, and you have to assume in your own mind what it is. But it's powerful when the woman says it's magic because it's very typical of a woman to be very optimistic. Yeah, and the woman and magic. Exactly. And then when the guy says it's tragic, it makes sense because guys are very pessimistic about relationships. And, you know, us getting together, they're very, like, they get emotional when it breaks up. This is tragic. Uh, but then when he reversed it on the official version, it changes the whole thing, and it's just as good. It's not better. It's just as good. But all of a sudden, the guy is the optimist saying, this was magic. This is magic. And her saying it was tragic, totally. I thought it was brilliant. I just, I just thought that when I really dissected this song, this is a monster song. This, it's not commercial enough to be a, a single, but this should have been a very powerful album cut yeah. back then. I like this one. That was, that was one of my favorites. Uh, <clears throat> the Mad Mad Moonlight, the second track number two, which was the first real song on the album. Right. That was the one, like I said, I pegged as uh, if I was a radio program, and this is the one I put That's a catchy song. <clears throat> Finding out that uh, what the number one hit song was. Uh... I still can't believe that. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I can't hear <laughs> And the fact that it's been covered 1,200 <laughs> times. <sighs> but the fact that this was popular in England and not elsewhere. Got me thinking about glam rock. In North America, it, when I think of glam rock, I think of David Bowie and T-Rex. That's it. Uh, was Gary Glitter glam rock? No, we can't talk about Gary Glitter. <laughs> <laughs> Mott the was kind of glam rock. They were close. They yeah, were close, but they were kind of, yeah. Gary Glitter was glam rock, yeah. Okay, but I've never heard anything Gary, Gary Glitter's done. So the only uh, things I can think of in North America are David Bowie and T-Rex. And I got me thinking about how in the, the, the 70s, you know, in a local area, you know, a DJ uh, likes an album, you know, starts playing it, and uh, other DJs uh, around, uh, they hear it, they like it, see other people are listening to it, they start playing it. And they're going to actually influence what was popular in an area. Uh, the fact that it never caught on in, uh, in North America Glamrock, uh, well, it wasn't as big. Like I say, it was only the few who really uh, excelled that uh, got pushed. But I think by, by the time Cockney Rebel came to North America, North American radio was thinking, you know, we already have a boy. We don't need any more, and uh, we let this T-Rex in here, but uh, Glamrock's not our thing. You know what? I think <laughs> what you said is 100% correct. I really do. I think that, uh, first of all, glam rock is a British yeah. thing. Never been never been a homemade American thing. And I think by the time we that knew this album was released, it didn't catch on. glam rock was kind of, you know, kind of gone. Starting to go. And yeah. then, there were other glam rock bands coming out, and uh, it gets saturated. I mean, how many different looks, how many different ways are there to wear makeup? That uh, And to be honest, it is in my opinion... They're also kind of a, you know, second-rate glam rock band. I mean, that's just my opinion. But 
they're not, they don't have the strong commercial sense that T-Rex no. or David Bowie has. That's just a plain fact, I think. No, they got the slick production. I, I thought the, the production I thought was not too bad. I mean, they did Alan Parsons. Yes. Alan Parsons I produced this record. And it was very, it. you know, it was good production as far as it sounds really good. But the I just felt yeah. that a lot of them sounded like demos. Not just Make Me Smile, but quite a few of them sounded underproduced. Sounded, it needed yeah, a little bit more. I mean, the musicianship was definitely there. It was, yeah. But it sounded just a bit sparse somehow, I don't know. I can't describe it, but... No, I, I think the demo thing... I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I don't you think it's a, a couple of songs sounded like almost demos? Like when you play a demo and you say, oh, no, no, don't wait, I, I'll put... I'll put another guitar on here, or like you just feel like there should be more to it, and there's in a couple of songs it just isn't. And they might have left it at that. Yeah. Recording. I'm not saying the... they did that, but that's what I hear. And I think it's bad because, you know, I really want to like this record because <laughs> there's there's ideas coming out of this record that are really good ideas. It's just that they hit a brick wall almost every time they come near. The climax, not the climax of the song, but three quarters of the way through of writing, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, either they screw up the production, and they, they screw up the chorus, they do something wrong to, or Steve Harley does something wrong to, to kind of screw up each each song except the best years of our lives, to me. And every song is almost there to me, but it's not. The other thing about glam rock is it's the most theatrical music I can think of of all the the popular music offshoots it's it's the most uh, it's got the funkiest weirdest melodies it's a strange world of music especially listening to it yeah. nowadays it's it's still as strange nowadays as it was back then yeah yeah nowadays uh well a lot of times yeah in, in music you're here in the it's it's formulated it's structured and this was a little bit less structured i mean it was still structured but mm. it was no i agree totally i think that's Something one of the things i think that's one of the things that turned me off to this record is that there was a structure but it sounded structureless and there's a difference because with bowie and t-rex there's a structureless but it sounds structured you know what I mean? Like they yeah. make, they can, they work so well within the confines of glam rock, whereas Cockney Rebel seems to be struggling. Yeah. See, I, I, I got up uh, last time we, uh, we did this about six months ago. I, I listened to it. And I liked it. I like it still, but I like it uh, not quite as much. Yeah, you did quite. You know, when we talked about this album together six months ago that was we it because it was refreshing to hear glam rock after <laughs> and this is a good glam rock because i remember we had we didn't have an argument but we disagreed six yes. months ago i said very much that i did not think much of this album you were saying no this is a pretty good album i said okay whatever and i have a actually a, a better appreciation of it than i did i still think that there's so many things wrong that if corrected could have made this a, a really great album and it it's funny but we've kind of flopped a little bit you know like <laughs> not flopped as yeah. gone back but i've actually liked it more and you've liked it a little bit less yes yeah, <laughs> it's it, it, like i say it, as far as glam rock goes i think it's a really really good up there glam rock album you know what i really like to listen to their first two records because they're from what i understand their first two records are their best records. This is this is considered 
right up there. I'm not saying that this is considered, a, uh, but this is considered just below those first two records. I I would like to hear what those first two records sound like, and I will listen to them. I'm yeah, not, you know, if, if we make it around <laughs> again, <laughs> we might get another Cockney Rebel album. This got in there on the momentum of the, uh, the first yeah. Two I'm really, I'm really more fascinated to hear the first two Cockney Rebel albums than I was uh, six months ago. Six months ago, I actually could have cared less if I heard Steve Harley again, as far as his music was concerned. Now I'm kind of intrigued a little bit. I am, even though it's still an average record to me. There's something there. There, there, there's something there. It's just. It's more there for British audiences and British ears than yeah. for me personally. <laughs> I mean, it's getting a popular because it was pushed there, and why didn't it get pushed here? And if it didn't get pushed here, why didn't it become popular? Here? I know. And you know what? I just don't think it's my personal opinion. I don't think it's good enough for the North American market at the time when no. so much was happening. I think, yes, there was a whole lot more stuff, and uh, glam rock had kind of a run its course. It was kind of a uh, in North America it runs. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, it still had a couple more years before punk came in England, but yeah, in America, even by '75, they they were looking for different things. Yeah, so, uh, that was a yeah, good. You know, we agreed. <laughs> we know it's funny, but we agreed on we agreed a lot on a lot of uh, issues on this, but we didn't really agree on on the how much we like the album, but we understood the album. And that's almost as much, that's almost important because I want to convey to people what the album is about. Not necessarily if it's good or not, because that's just an opinion, whether it's good or not. Yeah. But you had some, uh, you know, when you have good points about why it's not popular, why it didn't work, or why it did work for you, yeah. you know. And then you like the song, The Best Years of Our Lives. So I thought it was magnificent. That one I liked, uh, and uh, the Madman Moonlight. Like yes. I said, those are my two favorite songs. Again, I thought that, you know, other than the intro, I thought that was just a fabulous way to begin the record. Yeah. Unfortunately, again, I thought that they screwed it up, and they didn't they didn't reach the pinnacle of the song. But still, it was a great beginning to the album. Uh, well, she's right on time, I tell you. Uh, so we're done for this episode, but, of course... What we do is we're already we've only done this once and already it's extremely unpopular. <laughs> but we're going to do Rob's impressions to end the show. And this week, are you ready, Rob? Rob does not know which impression. Uh, nope. I'm getting a lot of I'm, people. I'm getting a lot of bad feedback about this. But be patient with us because it's going to work in the future. Could you do Tom Cruise in the movie Cocktail? I think I can. You're a dang rattlesnake cock. Yeah, we got to get rid of this. Segment. <laughs> um, we'll figure out how to gracefully get rid of this segment soon. And or we may be stubborn and just keep on pounding it until people love it. <laughs> okay, so uh, thanks everybody. We'll uh, we'll catch you next week. Just